So last week we finished up Ephesians chapter 1 about the whole concept of being the body of Christ. And many of you were good listeners and responsive to saying, there are places that, that God has gifted me that I can serve. So thankfully, uh, we had people respond and say, I'll help in children's ministry. I'll help in junior high. I'll help in senior high. I'll host some college students. I'll help with some local impact. And in fact, we are now at our 66 host homes for Power Up Clubs this summer. So super grateful for that. And so it, are we full in the sense of the fullness of Christ? No. But we're closer yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you hear something and you're prompted by the spirit and you know you should do something and then it gets away from you. Don't let it get away from you. I want to encourage you. The simple truth from last week, if you're part of the body of Christ, but not serving in the body of Christ, then we're not the fullness of the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not serving, take a step. Try something once a month. You're not committed for life, but see a need, meet a need, and see how God might use you. Because the greatest privilege is to be an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. It's not that we want something from you. It's that we want something for you. To be the privilege and experience the privilege of being the body of Christ. No greater privilege than that. So we're going to move to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to open up with me to Ephesians 2, either uh, in a hard copy or where do you, you have the scriptures on. If you don't have scriptures with you, uh, we'll have them up here on the screen so you can follow along. But we always encourage you uh, to bring scriptures with you to be able to see it for yourself and remember where you saw it. So with Ephesians 2 comes a new theme, being made alive. That's what chapter 2 is all about. We're going to spend six weeks in chapter 2 of what it means to be made alive in Christ. This morning we'll specifically look at the first three verses as they relate to the opening 10 verses of chapter 2. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read for us, you can follow along, the opening 10 verses, chapter 2. And as we read them, I want you to be asking yourself this question. What does chapter 2, the first three verses, tell us about being made alive? Because these opening three verses have a crucial part in understanding the whole. So, opening 10 verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Phenomenal passage. It is, if you're not familiar with this word, it's the gospel. It is the good news all wrapped up there in 10 verses. But the first three play an incredibly crucial part in what the gospel is. And those opening three verses are so crucial because it reveals to us the condition of humanity, not some of humanity, but all of humanity apart from Christ. Who you and I were apart from Christ. Now, why does that matter? Because the light and life of Jesus will never burn bright in your heart until you and I recognize who we were and how dark it was before Christ. Did you get that? The light of Christ will never shine bright until we recognize how dark we were apart from him. You know what a flashlight looks like in a bright room when it's turned on? Not very bright. But turn off the lights, and that flashlight now shines bright. It doesn't shine any brighter. It just shows the brightness of it. Did you hear that? It doesn't shine brighter. It just shows the brightness of it. And we're never going to get the gospel. We're never going to get the brightness of the light of Christ until we make an, an honest admission. Here was the true condition of my heart before Christ. So, how dark really was it? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the condition of humanity, all humanity apart from Christ, is that all prior to him are dead in trespasses and sins. The scripture says it this clearly. All have sinned. And therefore, all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So, all have sinned, and therefore, all are dead in their sin. Death, in a word, is separation. When you die, you're separated from this physical body and your soul and spirit. Death is separation. Sin brings separation from God. So we were actually born, here's the irony of born physically alive, but spiritually dead, separated from God because of our sin. Not just sick, not just weak, dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, watch this, 
by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, there is no one who was not prior to Christ a child of wrath. How? By by nature. Now, let's unpack this concept. All are by nature children of wrath. First of all, you all know what wrath is. You've experienced it. You've been on the receiving end and you've been on the giving end of wrath, right? Intense anger. We're all children of wrath. How? By nature, in other words. We all deserve wrath. The wrath of God. But the wrath of God is different than you and I have generally expressed wrath and experienced wrath. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, unpredictable, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. What's he saying? He said, when you and I express wrath and experience wrath from one another, it's not... <laughs> really generally for any other reason than you're ticking me off because you're messing up my world, right? When, when wrath comes out of you as you drive down the road toward another driver, it's because you want them to be a better driver. <laughs> no, no. You want them to get out of your way. You want them to stop slowing you down. You want them to stop messing up your timetable, your path, where you were going to do. You're, you're ticked off at them, not because of anything other than self-indulgent. It was, it was a um, sobering reality, recognizing when my kids, when they were young, wouldn't go to bed at night. They wouldn't go to sleep, and I... So upset because I wanted them to get their sleep. <laughs> That's what we tell ourselves as parents. Oh, we just care. No, we don't care about them. We care about us. And they're like messing up my evening. Can you not go to bed and go to sleep and be quiet so I can enjoy some peace and quiet? You know that sort of wrath? Ah, uh, you do. That's not God's wrath. What's God's wrath? It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. That's a lot packed into that sentence. It's right. It's necessary. Why? Because God is perfect. I'm not. So my wrath never flows out of perfection. His wrath only flows out of perfection. It's right. It's necessary. And it's not an up and down standard. It's not... Some nights you're in a good mood, and so you put up with them getting up, and other nights you're like, done. And so they're done. You never have to take God's temperature. Bad mood, good mood. It's objective. What? Moral standard. If it falls short, and it does, it deserves wrath. It's right and necessary. We are, what's it say? Apart from Christ, we are children of of wrath. We rightly deserve the necessary 
wrath of God. By nature. What's that mean? It means it's not just what we do. It's, it's who we are. It's the overflow. It's not a behavioral issue. It's a nature issue. I think I saw it in my kids. No, strike that. I saw it in my kids. For some reason, and this seems backward to many, I see it more profoundly in my grandkids. They are the cutest little devils on the planet. Seriously, I'm like, wow, you are so... And it depends on the day. Fill in the blank. Cute evil. No, not the day, like the minute. Wow, you're so... God, where'd that come from? You're like two. And he didn't, you, didn't need to te- you didn't need to be taught to lie. You didn't need to taught to steal. You didn't need to, to be taught to, if you're not getting your way, fall on the floor and flail your arms. You didn't, take, you didn't have to learn that on YouTube. You just like came out of you. Ah! Right? If, if, you're, if people... People who think that's just not right. People are basically good. Need to go serve with Mary in the nursery. (laughs) Sorry, that's maybe not the best nursery advertisement right there. The little baby was probably, the sweet little one was probably the better one. Sorry about that. But hey, I know Mary believes in nature. (laughs) That we are deserving of wrath, not because of what we do, yes, but because of who we are. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Crazy. Sinful from the very beginning. Psalm 58.3 says the same thing. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Who are the wicked? <laughs> oh, good. We got like five people in the room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Every, this is why he, he regularly says in these opening three verses, even as the rest, all, none are exempt. All of us all of us, all of us. And again, you see some kids, you kind of go, oh, well, they're kind of sweet. I don't really see that. Hang around. It all comes out. All of Everyone. Everyone from birth goes astray. Why? Because we are by nature children of wrath. So, dead in our sin, by nature, children of wrath, and one more reality of the human condition. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And by nature, children of wrath. So what do we do? You formerly walked according to the course of this world. What's that mean? Just think cross-country course, and everybody runs the same path. Everybody runs the same path. Apart from Christ, everybody runs the same path. Everybody's going, no, I'm different, I'm unique. No, you're not. You're all running the same path. 
according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. Satan. Of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. That's a little clue that he was working, but now he's not working. He still is working in those who are enslaved to the course of the world, enslaved to the lies. Among them we too, all, all of us formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we did it by nature. So dead in our sins, separated because of our sins, we sin because we are sinners. And as children of wrath by nature, we are enslaved to three things. Did you catch it? to the patterns of the world. We all run the same trails. We all walk the same paths apart from Christ. Enslaved to the patterns of the world, the lies of Satan. With the preeminent one in our culture right now, everybody's basically good. See, if you're missing the point this morning, I'm confronting one of the major lies in our culture right now, which is people are basically good. People are not basically good. People are by nature evil. Now that's not the end of the story, praise God. But it is the true beginning of every story. It's a lie that people are good. And we're enslaved to the desires of the flesh. Comes down to it, we do what our desires demand. So let me say again what I said at the beginning. The light of Christ will never burn brightly in our life, in our hearts, and in our minds until we see the depth of our darkness. But watch. Read the three verses again, but this time, let me put our attention on something radically different than the darkness. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of that, even as the rest. What's the point? <laughs> Did you get this was... This is the condition apart from Christ. The point is this, that the gospel radically transforms us. Radically transforms us. See, my understanding of the gospel for too long was, well, it's, it's the message of how you get out of hell into heaven. And that's true. But there's so much more to who I am and who I was that's radically changed by the gospel more than just my eternal destiny. You were dead. You were alive physically, but you were dead apart from Christ. But now you are what? I'm alive 
in Christ. See, that's, that's, that's radically different. It's hard to get more radically different than dead to alive. Not from healthy to healthier. Not from bad to better. From dead to alive. That's the radical transformation of the gospel. From death to life. You were, you were a child of wrath. By nature. What are you now? You are a child of God. (laughs) Forgiven, set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God now lives in you. You were by nature children, a child of wrath. But now, you're a partaker of the divine nature. Are you still human? Yeah. But you're not only human any longer. See, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a heaven-hell thing. It was a, a radical transformation of my nature from a child of wrath to a child of God, a partaker of the divine nature. And because of that, my enslavement to the course of the world, to the lies of the enemy, to the desires of my flesh, that enslavement is gone. I, I went from enslaved to free. Free to love God. Free to please God. Free to now say no. To say no to the desires of your flesh. Free to be able to say, no temptation has overtaken me except, except such as common to man. But God, who is faithful, will give a way of escape. Why? Because I was enslaved. You were enslaved. But you are no longer if the gospel has transformed you. That is why it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not apart from Christ, but in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Notice it does not say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he might become a new creature. Old things might pass away. New things might come. That's the way we treat it. That's not accurate. The gospel is an if-then process. If you're in Christ, then you are new. And you will live new. Now that's Super important that you don't miss what I just said. It is an if-then, but make sure you get the if and the then correctly. Because it's possible that you think or you've been grown up, be, grown up being taught it's the if-then. If you change, then you're saved. If you get your life together, if you stop cussing as much as you used to cuss, if you start doing things that you used to, doing right things that you didn't used to do, if you stop doing the wrong things that you used to do, if you change, then you'll be saved. That is not the gospel. The gospel says, if you're in Christ, you will change. Fundamentally, for this reason, you will by nature be changed. See, it's not just a behavior modification. You will go from a child of wrath to a child of God. 
It's not that your sin nature is no longer present. It's that you're no longer enslaved to it because now you have become a partaker of God's nature as well. That greater is he that is in you now than he that is in the world. So prior to the gospel, you walked the same course. But if you're in Christ, you won't walk those same paths. You won't walk those same courses. You'll walk new paths, and you will stop walking the same old paths. Not in order to be saved, but because you are saved. Give you an illustration. A couple years ago, my wife wanted to grow some peppers. Growing stuff like that always seems like a great idea. And then you realize, these are the most expensive vegetables we've ever grown in our life. Because we poured all these money into tomatoes, and then it's like, everybody has tomatoes. But that's, that's a different message. <clears throat> she bought some peppers, and they said green peppers. And so we grew green peppers, except when they grew, they didn't look clearly like green peppers. And so we looked at them, we looked them up online, and we determined they were not green peppers, even they were sold as green peppers, they were ghost peppers. If you don't know what, yeah, if you don't know what a ghost pepper is, now you might know. One of the hottest peppers on the planet. So I picked them for my son-in-law. No, seriously, he likes, he, he likes hot stuff. It wasn't like because he was my son-in-law. Uh, <laughs> at least that's what we're saying from the stage. We picked these things. He really does. He likes hot, hot, hot stuff. And my niece came to visit, and her four-year-old found them and loves peppers, popped it into his mouth. And literally, I've never seen a kid come unglued like he came unglued. Four-year-old flailing. I, I don't mean this. In a, I'm not going to say. Uh, he... He literally, as a four-year-old, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. We had these little bluebell cups of ice cream, and he was just rubbing them on his tongue, just going crazy. Now, imagine I walked over and said, oh, stop it, you little snot. It's a green pepper. <laughs> it's not a green pepper! <laughs> no, and I go, no, no, see, here's the receipt. I have the, you know the little white tag they put in it? Green pepper. Try this. Well, that's stupid. How do you know the pepper? How do you know the plant? By the fruit. See, Jesus said very clearly, you can call the plant whatever you want, but the plant will be known by its fruit. So you can say, I think it's a green pepper. But unless it produces green peppers, it's not a green pepper. A plant would be known by its fruit. Watch. The gospel is an if-then proposition. If you're in Christ, you will be a new creature. Old things will pass away. New things will come. You'll walk new paths, run new courses because you are in Christ. 
at the very beginning, I can only take someone by their receipt, by their profession. But time is the great revealer of what fruit grows on the plant. Why? Because the gospel transforms. You were, you formally were, you formally walked, you formally were enslaved. You're not anymore. The gospel transforms. It doesn't just, watch, it doesn't just help. It radically changes. If in Christ you were, not anymore. So how do you get from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from an old nature of wrath to a new nature? How do we get there? The move from death to life, very simple. The first move from death to life is this. When John the Baptist who's known as the forerunner who came before Jesus came in order to prepare the way for people to hear what Jesus had to say. His words were very simple. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. And then Jesus came right behind him and you know what he started his ministry with the time is fulfilled in other words it's now and the kingdom of God is at hand me the king repent and believe the move from death to life and this is crucial you may think you know this but this is crucial don't assume you know the move from death to life begins with repentance, a changing of my mind. For the Jews at the time of John the Baptist, it was this. You think a Messiah is going to come and is going to set up an earthly king kingdom and overthrow Rome. That's what you're looking forward to. You need to Repent. You need to change your mind because the king is coming, but he's not coming to overthrow Rome. He's coming to overthrow sin and death. And he's not setting up initially now an earthly kingdom. He is setting up a spiritual kingdom in the heart. And unless, watch, and unless you repent, change your mind, you're never going to be able to accept, to receive the message that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to declare. You cannot think what you've always thought and then believe in Jesus as well. It requires a change of mind. And in this passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, there are three specific expressions by which we need to change our mind. First, I'm more helpless than I think. It's not that most people won't recognize I need help. It's 
the degree to which we are willing to admit, I need help. How helpless am I? Dead helpless. Right? See, this whole thing that people get offended, oh, Christianity is a crutch. That is way, way, way an underestimation of what I need. Do dead people need crutches? I mean, that's silly. Do dead, no. What do dead people need? Resurrection. <laughs> Don't be offended when people say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. Instead, say, oh, no, I need much more than that. Because it wasn't that I was crippled. It wasn't that I was a hard time with life. It's that I was dead. I am more helpless than I think. For while we were still helpless, is there a difference between needing help and being helpless? <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference, right? Needing help versus helpless. When, when Hurricane Irma came to visit me in Fruit Cove, I needed help to fix the dock that it destroyed. But you know what I was helpless to do? Stop the water. See the difference? I could have invited the same eight guys to help me fix my docks to go, hey, why don't you come and stop the water? Mm, that's out of our lane. That's above our pay grade. And you and I may think we need Jesus' help. You don't need help. You are helpless. We need Jesus' life. Begins by acknowledging repentance. I don't need help. I'm helpless. Second, I deserve the wrath I think bad people deserve. This is hard for church people who are, they think, and have lived, they think, basically good. This was the repentance. The rich young ruler would not take. He would not change his mind regarding he deserved the wrath of God. Yes, he had been better than some. But it's not about I'm better than some. It's that the wrath of God is the right and necessary reaction to a moral absolute standard. And none of us meet it. So I deserve... I deserve the wrath as much as a sex trafficker. See, I don't think we can embrace Jesus until we're willing to admit that about ourselves. A repentance, a changing of our mind about who we are and how dark this heart is. I am not basically good. I'm dead and a sinner by nature, enslaved apart from him. I'm more helpless 
and I deserve the wrath I think bad people deserve. And I need deeper change than I think. What happens? Well, people go to church because, well, my family's not as what I'd like it to be. I'd like my family to be better. I'd like my marriage to be better. I need to get my life back on track. As if what the gospel is about is a behavioral change. And what we need is a nature change. We need to be transformed from by nature children and wrath to divine partakers of the divine uh, partakers of the divine nature i need a deeper change uh, too many of us as we think about church we think like the teenage boy who thinks a little cologne is as good as a shower <laughs> you ever been around that kid oh that's like whoo yes oh oh it's two strong smells colliding. <laughs> you know, they, they sell that axe. You just you know, spray on shower. That is not a spray on shower. There's a huge difference between adding some new stink versus washing off the stink, right? But there's a lot of church that's about let's spray on some new smell as opposed to, no, I need Christ to wash me. Not just ex externally, but to wash me internally and make me new. See, it's, it's possible, very possible, to regularly be a part of church and to take little bits and pieces of it, but never be born again. Because being born again begins with a repentance and admitting something about myself that is offensive that's the stumbling block. It's offensive to admit I'm not weak. I'm dead. I don't just have bad behavior. I am sick to the core. Repent and believe. I would suggest to you I need to repent because it's impossible to believe in Jesus without repenting. Impossible to believe in him if I'm unwilling to repent. Let me give you six quick examples. I can't believe in Jesus to save me if I don't think I'm condemned. It's, it's the idea, you'll never convince somebody to put a parachute on unless they're convinced the plane's gone down or they're going to get pushed out. But if you really believed the plane was going down or they were going to push you out, you'd put it on, yes? yes? But if you were flying to Philly this afternoon and they said, hey, new regulations, you've got to wear the parachute, you'd be like, what? Can I talk to your mechanic? Is there something I need to know? Because <laughs> you must... People who put parachutes on believe they're going to get pushed out or the plane's going down. I don't believe in Jesus. Unless I believe I'm condemned first. I can't believe in Jesus to forgive me if I don't think I'm guilty. Guilty, not just less than perfect. I can't believe in Jesus. If you're trying to write all this down, you don't need to. 
This is the principle to understand. It's impossible to believe in Jesus without repentance. Just six examples. I can't believe in Jesus to bring me to God if I think I'm too far gone. That's the other extreme. Some think, oh, I think I'm probably good enough. Others go, oh, you don't want me to come to, this is what people tell me, you don't want me to come to your church. I mean, lightning. Really? No. They think, I never come back. Too far gone. You have no idea what I've done. And I don't. God does. And no one's too far gone. No one's good enough and no one's too far gone. That's not trite statement. (laughs) That's powerful truth right there. No one's good enough. No one's too far gone. I can't believe in Jesus to be the way if I think there are multiple ways to God. He's just another way. I can't believe in Jesus to be the truth. I think there's other truth. He's just another way. And I can't believe in Jesus to be the life if I think there's life apart from Jesus. I don't want you to miss this right now. If I have a concern, one of my concerns in the church right now is not that people don't believe in Jesus. It's that they think they believe in Jesus without a repentance. And the first step from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from old nature to new nature is I repent. See, I couldn't really believe in Jesus until I, this is my story, this, I would save mine for the last. I couldn't really believe in Jesus until I changed my mind about life and other things. I wanted to believe in Jesus, but when it came down to it, I still wanted to find life and thought I would find life in other things, in other relationships, in other pursuits. I can't believe this about him until I'm willing to admit something about me. My encouragement, in case you're missing it, is this. Have you repented? Admitted, really, the condition of who you are apart from Christ? Or have you simply sought to add Jesus to your life to take your average life and make it a little bit better? Or your bad life and maybe not so bad? Jesus does not enter a person's life for incremental change. Jesus transforms a person. The gospel is radical change from the inside out, and it's embraced through repentance. Finally, repentance is continual. Now, listen carefully here as you write that down. I'm not saying repentance is continual unto salvation. I am saying this. Did you catch that? I'm not saying it's you need to keep repenting in order to keep being saved. I am saying that once I am saved by repenting of my sin, 
all of life will continue to be repentance. A changing of my mind for this. I may be a believer who has trusted in Jesus, genuinely believed in him, genuinely be born again, but repent of this thought. I just can't change. I just can't help myself. The temptation's too great. Or repent of this thought. Prayer really doesn't make a difference. God's just going to do what he want, he's going to do. All of life is repentance. But don't, don't miss it. It begins. Abundant life and eternal life begins with admitting. What's true about me apart from Jesus? Dead. Not need help. Helpless. Enslaved. Not bad habits. Enslaved. By nature. A sinner. That's why I sin. Evil. Since the day I was born. Until I admit that about myself, I cannot believe in Jesus. So I simply, the whole repentance is continual. That's a whole nother message. I want you to ask right now, have you repented for the first time? Not have you believed in Jesus? We'll come into that. But the first step to the gospel, to being made alive, Ephesians 2, is admitting who I am. I invite you to consider that as the band simply leads us through this thought of have I repented and cried out to God to be my Savior.